0: Unless you're like a huge company that has a household name, I'm oftentimes the first time someone finds out about a company or the first time that they actually have an interaction with that company. So making sure that it's smooth, making sure that it's not antagonistic, that it's friendly and beneficial to the company long term, I provide actual marketing benefit. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I What happened? How oh, did it stop. You're now tuned into the Small Business
1: Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories
0: of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he? And what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea.
1: This is Small Business Origins. oh yeah what's up everybody you're tuned in to another episode of small business origins thank you for being here i'm your host as always john kelly aka john the marketer on instagram and tiktok you're tuned in into our nationwide search we're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell and joining us virtually in the studio i've got an entrepreneur that wants to do just that from seattle we've got kyle martin with ghost mountain executive
0: search kyle Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Man, it is going to be an awesome episode, I know, because all of that content we were talking about before I hit the record button was (laughs) gold, and we should have been recording. We weren't, but we are now, so here we are for this episode. And as always, because you're a listener, you know, we have to jump into our icebreaker question first before we get started with anything. Today's icebreaker question is, have you ever been told you look like someone
0: famous? And if so, who was it? Oh, man, that is actually like... uh, I. It, that is such a weird question um, because I've, as I've grown, I've gotten different people. I, like, I, I remember I was uh, told I looked like Toby Maguire back when he was Spider Man when I was okay. in the army. And then as I got older, I got um, told I looked like what's his name, who was in Westworld. And also, he was one of the McPoils on It's Always Sunny. Ooh, and then man. now. Now that I'm older, I don't think I look like anyone. I don't hear that anymore. Gray hair doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't suit Hollywood as much.
1: Hey, you know what, man? I think there are some gray-headed guys out there that many of our listeners would totally disagree with you on and say, <laughs> yeah, George Clooney looks great with gray hair, you know?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and uh, I'm not going to be the, the first guy who claims to look like George Clooney. So um, <laughs> I think I'm going to sidestep that pitfall. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. No Brad uh, Pitt's
0: on this line. I'm with you,
1: man. Who, what character was it from Westworld?
0: Uh, the, the blonde-haired guy, I think he was in uh, like the first season. Um, I, don't, I don't recall the show that, that oh, well. Yeah. It was a good show, but he was like one of those guys from It's Always Sunny that like drank milk and walked around in the bathrobes and stuff like that. So it was not necessarily the most flattering, but he ended up getting the Westworld uh, role, which I think redeemed me personally, which is kind of funny.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to totally just fail here and
0: say I'm drawing a blank and I can't think of the person's name, which It's all good.
1: Usually on trivia, I'm pretty good at naming that song or naming that mm. show or, you know, yeah. whatever else. So I'm I'm kind of upset with myself here that I'm failing so bad right now to remember the name of the person you're talking about. It's but I will good. tell you, I'm going to make you feel better with my answer because yeah. no matter who you chose, it's probably more flattering from appearance than my answer, but I will say The man I've been told I look like is extremely talented. And if I could have half of the money that he has and half of the talent that he has in acting and singing and everything else, I would be super excited for it. But I get told all the time that I look like Jack Black.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Oh, my God. There's so... There's so many layers to that guy. I find something out new about him all the time. Like his mom. Did you know his mom was one of the like Apollo 13 flight engineers? No. I she was, never heard that. She, she was solving Apollo 13's problems while she was giving birth. And she called in like an hour afterward to give them a solution so that they could get those boys home. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Yeah. Epic. Truly, that is a that is a great one, man. <laughs> All
1: right, after this episode, I'm going to have to go research this.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a
1: huge fan of Jack Black, so I don't mean any of this to be offensive. I'm sure he's a listener of the show. You know, he's yeah, probably going to text when me and be, like, be like, like yeah. yeah, he's going to be like, bro, I can't believe you said that about me on my show. I mean, yeah, so honored, but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I'm not offended, you know, to, to be told that I look like him. Uh, yeah. I just hope people... See that I am obviously just like him and should be rich and on movies yeah. and uh, yeah, singing totally. and everything else he does with Tenacious D and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you know, nah, he he's awesome, man. I really do. I, I'm a big fan of his. Love him. Follow him on TikTok and stuff. But yeah, uh, definitely when it comes to looks. Now I will say the other one I've been compared to, and this is uh, much worse than Jack Black is Meatloaf.
0: Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf. Uh, yeah, you, you gotta ex- you gotta respect the commitment though. He'd do almost anything for
1: sure. And I'm not going to lie, man. Some of his versions of songs I don't hate.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So meatloaf is uh, meatloaf is pretty classic. If, um, if you can't appreciate the commitment to, I would do anything for love, then you know, (laughs) whatever, like your opinion on music is maybe null, but you know, it is a classic meatloaf is meatloaf is hilarious. Even if you can't like, even if you don't love his music, it's uh, it's at least a cultural touchstone, you know. Yeah,
1: no, one hundred percent, man. Like yeah. I said, I I'm probably obviously a much sexier version of these two guys. Um, oh yeah, and that's what these people <laughs> were telling me. But that's what I'll take it as. And then I'll just say I'm I'm not as talented as them, yeah. but I'm definitely working on it. And I'm yeah, like a, is what I'm like is. a
0: a less talented, uh, less attractive Dave Grohl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, hey, you know what? We're both here,
0: so we've got yeah. to get
1: started with it. Kyle, we're here to talk about you, man, where you came from, your personal life. What's your origin story?
0: Well, my origin story is just about everywhere. I was born in uh, in Minnesota and then was a baby gator down in Florida and then grew up most of my life in Atlanta, moved to Nebraska and ended up in Seattle. So I've been kind of doing a diagonal tilt across the nation, but I feel like this is This is one of the places I like the best, even though it reminds me of all the other places. But yeah, I was I moved to Nebraska in high school and then joined the Army right out of high school. And that's where I think my my trajectory towards this point probably started, because the Army has some explicit things that the rest of the world just kind of implicitly refers to. And specifically leadership. Leadership is one of those things that the Army is very explicit about and they make a clear differentiation between being a leader and being in charge cuz you don't necessarily need to have authority to be the leader you know and i always like to think of the idea of a sled you know like a like a dog sled the leader's the the dog that's in front the boss is the one riding on the back right mm. and and i love that i've always liked that and that concept of how people are motivated. And I love people in general, I would say that, you know, one of the great joys of my life is that I get to talk to really successful people who are very effective and kind of learn about what motivates them and what makes them successful and what makes them a good leader. So I've been kind of, a I think you've, you've probably found out thus far, I'm like deeply intellectually curious. I've got a hundred questions about everything, but you know it it's a good job to have to be interviewing people all the time and i think starting in the army gave me the opportunity to understand what it meant to be able to motivate people cuz you can't fire people in the army right they're not going anywhere and you've got to get the job done and so I, in the army i ended up being in charge of a wiring shop which was one of the most interesting jobs i've ever had but i didn't have the authority to fire anyone so i just had to find the ways to, um, to motivate people. And then when I got back from my second tour in Iraq, I finished up my degree in economics and finance and got a, got a job in rural economic development at Nebraska Investment Finance Authority, which was fascinating. Again, really interesting problems to ponder, trying to figure out how to make, you know, a small small town America thrive uh, in, a, in a situation where they've been kind of underserved for a long time. Yeah. And so that was really fascinating, going out there, talking to them, them asking me, how do we get our kids to move back here? And me kind of throwing out some ideas and them saying, you know, maybe you don't understand the culture here so much. And, you know, just having that longer dialogue, the Gordian nod of, we don't have enough money to grow, but we need more people to come back so that we can get the money to grow is kind of that that negative feedback loop that I feel like a lot of small town USA has a problem with, but it's totally respectable. But then, you know, I moved from Nebraska to Seattle, working at a nonprofit trust fund, which was, you know, very interesting uh, work, very emotionally involved, you know, people who, for whatever reason, um, couldn't maintain their own finances. So whether it's, you know, some sort of deficiency or legal stipulation or, you know, splitting up of complicated, you know, assets. That was a fascinating job, but then I moved on to be a senior financial analyst at a at a uh, 6 billion dollar bank and, you know, I had the mo- I've always had the most amazing leaders and primarily black women have been my uh leaders and they've just been incredible leaders and I had just a fantastic one there, but she experienced a family tragedy that uh we don't really need to go into, but suffice it to say she she had to leave without um without giving any notice, and so I had to take over those responsibilities, and that's when I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so I have the experience of knowing what it, it takes to be a CFO, sitting in the chair, you know, doing the work behind the scenes and how much pressure and what skills are required to accomplish those. And then uh, from there, uh, I went to to a multinational, multi-billion dollar recruiting firm where I managed a team of 15 controllers who are uh senior level accounting professionals, and then went on to do executive recruiting and decided that my lifelong love of leadership wasn't going to allow me to stop before I gave it a chance to be the strategic leader of a company.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's such an interesting topic, talking about leadership. It's something I've been kind of a halftime student for years Mm -hmm. of the college I go to, just trying to make it work with, you know, three kids and a wife and a life and a full-time job and a part-time job and a company that I own and all the things I have going that are in the fire right now. And one of the coolest things that I've done is the leadership symposium that I have to take as a part of my degree program. And it was a three-part leadership series. And those topics are exactly what comes out all the time Mm -hmm. is that you don't have to be the boss. You don't have to be in charge You don't have to be in a position where you can instill fear over people Mm -hmm. in order
0: to lead. You know, you can
1: be their coworker.
0: Yeah, and I would say that um, what you've described there are completely relevant to the concept of being a good leader, Having having a strong understanding of what it takes to be a human and to function at a high level while understanding that there are factors outside of work, you know, accessing those things, being able to to provide the empathy and the emotional understanding that your, your team needs in order to, you know, function at a high level is critical. It's absolutely critical to high functioning.
1: Yeah, it's something I've seen firsthand being in the fire services. Mm mm-hmm. Your leaders, honestly, it's easier of a crutch to just kind of lean back on. Hey, you know what? I can use this threat of write-ups. I can use this threat of losing your job, Mm -hmm. anything else to motivate you to do what it is I need you to get done. And the good leaders, the ones that I want to work under and the ones I want to be like are the ones who, without any of that, could still motivate you to do something great, you know, where they could still come in and say, Hey, it's not because of the threat of your job or the threat of write-ups or anything else. It's because of the way that I've made you feel and the way that I've, you know, this path I've led you down. Mm -hmm. And this is what we need to do in order to get the job done and do it right. Which it helps in this field that Mm -hmm. the reason we're here is for the citizen. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's for the person who calls us in the middle of the night that has an emergency and for us to be in this field we have to have some sort of care for that. You know, we have to be self-motivated in a way, yeah. um, but there are those who aren't. And it's yeah. like, how do you, how do you grab those people and how do you get them to care?
0: Yeah. And, and that, that surprises me very much because I mean, it's uh, and, and I have a, I have a deep respect for the job. My, one of my uncles died at a very early age from ostensibly, uh, complications from smoke inhalation but he was a a rural firefighter and a lot of those are are volunteer yep. um and so uh, the the concept to me that you would go into such a dangerous field without having the i don't know what you call it spirit de corps or emotional or you know uh belief underpinning to understand that this is This is one you might be uh, remembered for, but maybe not thanked for.
1: No, that's definitely the truth, man. It's uh, a different type of breed people, but the same principles apply. You know, Mm -hmm. we still get, we still come in sometimes and we're tired and it's just a job and we just want to do what we need to do to get by. And we've got to find a way to kind of break through that and make Mm -hmm. good leaders. And I know all of this kind of ties into exactly what it is you do, because for a living, you kind of evaluate these good leaders. Mm-hmm. And then you evaluate these positions and you are basically kind of like a matchmaker for those that need a job and those that need a position filled to make
0: sure that you're filling it with the correct person. Am I wrong on that? No, no, that's right. I mean, there's um, uh, I, I think to your point um, when it comes to those things, you know, for a person that has a why, any how is uh, is doable or at least overcomable. That's not a word. <laughs> hey we can make up words you've been sure. using fancy enough
1: words we can make them up too that's all right
0: <laughs> yeah thanks for the leeway there but yeah yeah talking to people about what inspires them you know where their passions are because passion is usually part of talent you know i think uh talent is really the the confluence of passion and dedication uh, a lot of people will say you know people are just born with these things but i think you know just like strength strength is a skill. I think talent is probably one of those things that, you know, you still have to practice. And if you can access passion to keep you dedicated, then that's where you end up with really high performers and people who, you know, are able to express value in strategic ways.
1: Yeah. So you gained experience doing the job Mm. and then you gained experience in recruiting Mm-hmm. And how did that, I mean, obviously you already mentioned that the leadership side of things, wanting to kind of lead yourself and lead your own team and, and move on to create your own company. How did all that tie into Ghost Mountain Executive Search?
0: Well, I think uh, when it comes down to it, you know, you've got s- different parts of leadership. And one of those is, you know, where are you going, right? Where are you leading people? and uh, And that's where strategy comes in. And I'm like, you can't be a huge fan of leadership without being a huge fan of strategy, right? And when it comes down to it, I have, I think about strategy consistently, and not just in an abstract way, but my own personal strategy, and, you know, what I'm trying to achieve. And like, like I said, the, the, uh, the why of it all, right. And one of the things that you can't avoid when you're dealing with leadership is that it has an outside effect on people's quality of life. People's managers and their leaders have incredible effects on quality of life. So if I'm able to find really good, empathic, high-functioning leaders for people, the fact of the matter is that I'm going to have a really beneficial effect on people's quality of life. And that gets me out of the bed in the morning, you know? Um, yeah. On the days where I don't want to pick up the phone 50 times a day, on the days that I don't want to do eight, nine interviews or search for a CFO for a tribal organization in rural Montana, that's what gets me out of bed is knowing that I, I can have an actual effect on the, on benefiting people's lives.
1: So what do people call Ghost Mountain Executive Search for?
0: Yeah. Traditionally, I started out as a CFO, but I've got experience with HR, obviously. And then I started out in engineering. My first job out of college was as an engineer at an American auto parts plant called Teneco in uh, rural Nebraska. So, I mean, they can call me for anything from a CFO, CEO, COO of really any industry, because I've got uh, experience managing a team of high level consultants in every industry, from SaaS to engineering, um, space and defense, got experience in literally every industry. Um, So if they want uh, leaders, and as I said before, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader, but it's the best idea is to call me if what you're looking for is is a leader.
1: So, do I need to have like a job posting or something like that and then call you for candidates for that job posting? What does that relationship look like?
0: Yeah, actually, you'll never see a job posting from me. And if you've got a job posting up, that's that's all that's all well and good. But essentially what I do is I take the different emphases and values that the company has, as well as the technical qualifications that they need. And I go find them. So like I said, if it's in the middle of nowhere, tribal organization, or you're uh, New Jersey and you just acquired a you know, a fashion organization and you need a controller, I've sat people in 11 days, which uh, I'm very proud of. Yeah, you don't need to have a, a job description made. I can make those in a heartbeat, but it really is more important for you to have your requirements visualized because we can have a conversation like this, you know, and I can, and I can draw those things out of you and get a, get an abstract idea of who I need to go out out of to get the perfect person for an organization.
1: Gotcha. So you're not just farming this out to a group of individuals looking for a job, you're truly making connections with people who are currently actively seeking a job and not so much just the job, but like you said, the position, you know, looking to fill that role. Yeah. Um, So you have qualified candidates that you kind of have in your own pool.
0: Yeah. This is, this is a bespoke um, solution. So when it's uh, no fail and it's, and it's absolutely critical to get exactly the right person in the role, that's when you call me because I go out there and I and I, I work it till it's done, and um and that is a commitment that I hold. Uh, got replacement guarantees for everyone uh, up to a year if it's a retained search, and for a contingent search, it's ninety days. So I'm not asking for
1: all the secrets or anything,
0: but sure. how do you make money doing this? What what does it cost
1: for me to find somebody to fill a role at the at the company that I have?
0: Yeah. It's a, it really depends on the organization, their means, but it's a range of 20 to 30% of first year's base salary, no bonuses or anything like that. If it is a, a lower level role or non-technical, we can do that on a contingent basis. So I only get paid if someone gets placed. The other option is a retained search, which we split up into three payments, one to get the search started, one when you start interviewing. And then the last one, when they, the, the day they start. And then after that, obviously, there's a one-year guarantee for them.
1: Gotcha. And, and I know, obviously, you've got to be looking for other relationships for people who are looking for jobs, right? So are you also looking to establish relationships with people who are in these high-level positions and are searching for a job?
0: No. It, as much as I would like to, um, I think oftentimes you'll have people who will give people hope that they have exactly the right thing for them and they'll, they'll kind of have to fill larger organization quotas. You need to do X amount of interviews a week, this, that, or the other thing. If you see me reaching out to you, it is because I have a position for you. Um, gotcha. And so I like to make sure that I'm not giving people undue hope that I'm uh, that I'm following up correctly, and that uh, people know where they stand.
1: So your job really is to do a lot of research on people.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. A, it
1: seems like a lot of work.
0: It it is, and it's it's heads down. It's why again, you've got to have a passion. You've got to understand why you're doing it if you're going to do it well, because you know there's there's ups and downs. You can't get too high. Can't get too low you just got to sit down every day, do the work, understand that it has to be done and that people are counting on it. And that's why I'm successful because when it comes right down to it, I've got the uh the larger the larger picture in view and I'm willing to, you know, stick with it until it is absolutely complete. So
1: if I'm a candidate that's looking for a job like this, mm-hmm then what do I need to do to be found by someone like you? Do I need to have a a great, well-built out LinkedIn profile? What type of things attract you to somebody as a potential candidate for a position?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a really good way to do it. You know, some of the highest value people I've talked to, I've talked to people who are, well, I'm searching for, you know, $400,000 a year CFO for a company. And I end up on the phone with a guy who makes a million dollars a year. The irony is you'd think he'd be rude to me or scoff at me or anything like that, but that's never the case. Really high value people almost immediately go, hey, I don't think this is a good fit for me, but you should reach out to John. Here's his contact. So that's that's been a real eye opener that there, there are quite a lot of valuable people in people's networks and they'll refer you to them. But I would suggest you know, making sure that you're, your uh linkedin is up to date that's a really good way to find people and you know just stay in touch with the people who are in your uh, in your network uh make sure that you're you know i i do it as a function of my uh, my nature that i reach out and kind of maintain maintain long term relationships even with kind of tertiary people in my orbit but um making sure that you've got your linkedin updated making sure that the titles are correct making sure that you understand. And this is something that I actually do. I do coach people on um, on interviewing and on resume preparation and that sort of thing as another service that I provide. But it's not the main thing that I do. But I do enjoy helping people be successful. And that's kind of my biggest thing is is I like to help people be successful. And one of the things that I would always suggest is just like me, Get in mind what that top level strategy, get Get in mind what that why is, and then go from there. Be able to tell people in, in writing and verbally what it is you are and what it is you want to do and what gets you out of bed.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think too, it kind of plays into, and I'm not connected in this field at all, so I'm not saying that I have the answer, but it just makes me think of things like iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, these aren't, and no offense to them, I mean, we all started there, but these aren't jobs at McDonald's, these aren't jobs at Dollar General or Walmart or something like that, you know, at the base retail level of you just need to have a a diploma and show up on time for the interview and look half decent and you can get a job. This is stuff where. You need to have a connection. You need to have network. You need to have not only the skills, the education and all this stuff, but you need to be surrounded by people who are boosting you up and who yeah. are making you look good. Like this is one of those moments that just screams to me. You want to be around people who are talking stock trades with you and talking company level things with you yeah. and making your life better, not people who are just barely skating by, because if you don't have that, why? You're not going to be well connected and you're not going to have your name come up randomly in a meeting.
0: Well, and and that's another thing is, you know, if I were talking to a guy like you, I I didn't know you that well. I would still think that you would be a great person to have around, not because all you talk about all day is firefighting or all you talk about all day is marketing, but because what I hear from you is intellectual curiosity. And that's something that really flexible leaders have in common is that intellectual curiosity something new comes out and it and it's interesting and they dig in a little bit and they have those intellectual conversations because, you know, if you dig in fi- far enough, you can find what you're looking for and you can you can make seemingly irrelevant things valuable. Right. Right. So, I mean, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want your entire um, your entire network to be people who are talking about stock trades or whatever. You know, you still have to find you still have to be a human being, right? Because that that really is part of what makes everything work. The reason that those people who refer other people are so relevant is because they're keeping in mind the well-being of the people around them. So yeah, you're right. You do want people who are serious and who are, um, who are strategically minded in your, in your orbit, but you also want people who care about you, you know, good people. And basically, and that's part, one of the things that I try to get across to people when they're When they're going through the interview process, is you're gonna have to spend at least a third of your life with these people. Get across the idea that you're a good person and that uh, you're decent to be around, right?
1: Yeah, hundred (laughs) percent. And honestly, too, I value the other side of that coin, where it's like you want to make sure that that company is a good fit for you. So it seems Mm -hmm. like if you're in this level of a position, it'd be nice to have an agency like yours, so that you know, okay, well. When Kyle's calling me and saying that he has a position for me, I know that this is going to be a good fit in a good company, not just some fly by night company that's looking to fill a role as quickly as possible with anyone that's got a pulse. But mm-hmm. this is somewhere that I'll fit in because you're right, you're gonna spend a third of your life there. You wanna make sure that you are going to be happy and that you like the job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it goes it it goes to your point that you have to have a, a complete understanding of of what's going on as you're going in. And I think what I bring to the table as far as the candidate side is transparency. I like to make sure that I understand exactly what's motivating this person, anything that might be a tr- any trouble. And oftentimes I'll even negotiate on their behalf. Negotiation can be a little dicey. Um, I have, I've studied quite a few ways to go about it to make things feel a little less antagonistic. So I call it cooperative negotiating. It ends up, uh, you know, One of the worst things that you can do is negotiate a starting salary with somebody in an adversarial way so that they come into your organization with this idea that, you know, I lost or that this company has somehow taken advantage of. me. And so being able to have somebody like me on your side to, uh, you know, essentially solve both sides problem at the same time. Like, we need somebody who's got this person's skill set, and we really like their personality. And, you know, the other side, you know, I, I, my, my skill set would be very valuable at this company, and I really like the organization and the leadership. You know, how do we make this work? And I think approaching it from that perspective really makes makes the onboarding process less onerous. And not every not every negotiation is successful, right? So what I, what I like to emphasize is that, um, people don't think about this very often, but a recruiter is very much a marketer for your company. They're they're maybe, I mean, unless you're, like you said, unless you're like a huge company that has a household name, I'm oftentimes the first time someone finds out about a company or the first time that they actually have an interaction with that company, so making sure that it's smooth, making sure that it's not antagonistic, that it's friendly and beneficial to the company long term, I provide actual marketing benefit because when people are done dealing with me, oftentimes they'll they'll tell me, you know even if the negotiation doesn't work, they'll say hey, you know, uh, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but I'd love to work with you again in the future. And, and I always love hearing that. Um, but it's important to understand that the people who are representing your job openings to the general public are absolutely marketing on your behalf. And that's what I like to keep in mind, that I have my clients' best interests in mind, that as I lead people through this process, I'm giving them as much clarity as I can throughout it, as well as the client. You know, I'm giving the client all of the stipulations that the candidate is interested in and their motivations and making sure that they're on the right track. And Once that's accomplished, whether or not you can come to an agreement at the end, you've got somebody who's probably going to get a different executive um, position at a different company who thinks fondly of your company. And that's where you know synergies happen,
1: yeah, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. those relationships are so important in business it's mm-hmm. uh definitely something I've learned on the marketing aspect, you know even even talking about other competitors, it's like, well, they may be a competitor, but if they're like us and they do good work and they like us, then that could turn into work for us based off of you know their needs or vice versa. We could refer them some good work too, and it's like just having that. Synergy between companies is a great thing that can really lead to some awesome possibilities.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of different company structures that have just affiliation, right? We work together so closely that we're almost affiliated, but it's because we respect that they're so good at this kind of marketing, but we specialize in this kind of marketing. And because you're able to have those affiliates, you can drill down a little bit into what you're really talented at.
1: Yep. niching down is important, man. That's definitely something that's been a topic as of late. So are are you looking for one specific type of client then? Is it only corporations that you're after, only a certain number as far as like income is concerned for that position that you're after? What are your kind of minimums?
0: Yeah. So we like to target um, kind of 10 million and above in annual earnings because otherwise you're not going to need the... Well, you may need the level of people that we have, but the return might not be there quite yet. And so it really does depend on, you know, if you can afford it, if at the moment the ROI is there. And I find that uh, $10 million and above is where the ROI is. That makes sense. I mean, you got to know
1: your target client, who you're looking for and who you're a good fit for. Exactly. Is it
0: only corporations
1: or are you open to, you know, government agencies or any other type of, you know, nonprofits, anything like that?
0: Oh, uh, actually the majority of my career has been in nonprofits. So I really enjoy helping nonprofits quite a bit. I understand what the, uh, the strictures are of those, of those companies. And like I said, uh, I really enjoy doing, doing good for the community. I like to take my presence in it as a, as a service opportunity. So nonprofits are absolutely part of what we like to do. I haven't done any government entities. Um, I'd be happy to entertain it, but I haven't had those people reach out yet. What this total side note here, but what is your favorite
1: nonprofit to support right now?
0: Oh, um, the one I do every Saturday, actually, is the uh, the food bank in the university district in Seattle. I go there every Saturday for three hours. I stock shelves and make bags for people to be delivered to their houses. Food insecurity is a real thing. I used to I used to work at Teen Feed, which was um, specifically uh, geared toward Feeding homeless uh, people under eighteen that were experiencing food insecurity, and that I've always been uh, a very enthusiastic cook, and so showing up. Oh, we've got somebody with an onion allergy, and we've got X, Y, and Z. You know, can you help us out? Oh yeah, sure, I can. I think I can whip something up with that. You know, and then yeah. making sure that you know the rest of that that person's day is is better.
1: Yeah, man, that's something I value so heavily. When I was growing up. I was never really a part of any family that was rich. We had some upper middle class family members and we definitely benefited from that quite a bit at some points of our lives. But then it just seemed like with the turn of, you know, probably I would say early 2000s into like 04, 05, 06, a lot of my family just kind of split up Mm -hmm. and had a lot of financial issues and it turned into, you know, me growing up with my mom as a, not a single mom. My dad was always there and in the picture and. And all that kind of stuff. But he was working, making his own way in his company, trying to just pay the bills. And, you know, he wasn't for sure hitting it big as a millionaire or anything else. Mm -hmm. I've never had a leg up. It's always been kind of the card stacked against me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, when I was 19 years old was when my wife and I had our first child. And we had moved out from my mom's home, which I was already working from a young age to help her pay bills anyway. Mm -hmm. But then we were on our own and it was us and I stood in line. We had a few places, uh, warm and team, which were just, Mm -hmm. you know, named after the city that they're in. Basically it was like Mm -hmm. Waller assistance ministries. I don't know what the R stood for. And then team is, uh, Tomball emergency assistance ministries. And that's all they do. You know, their food banks, their clothes banks, like you can go there and get clothes. You can go there and get food, Mm -hmm. financial assistance, that kind of stuff. And I've done my share, my fair share of standing in line at warm and team to get free stuff, Mm -hmm. just to make it from one paycheck to the next, just to make sure my kid had formula, Mm -hmm. make sure that my wife and I had food in the freezer to eat Mm -hmm. And so anybody who gives back in that way, man, that is something I definitely appreciate. So what you're doing is awesome there. That's why when you said you worked with nonprofits, I'm like, man, we can we can do nothing better in our lives than push up some of these nonprofits that are really making a difference in people's lives, because I know I was one that benefited from it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I did grow up um, in downtown Atlanta um, for a while. My mom was uh, single. Uh, And so. We experienced um, some food insecurity when I was a kid, but I had uh, really, really good friends uh, when I was a a younger man and they had an all guy cooking group called Taco Tuesday. It wasn't necessarily tacos necessarily wasn't on Tuesday, uh, but it was always (laughs) it was always good, you know, and we had this guy. His name's Billy Dufresne. The guy can cook like nobody's business. But he he took those opportunities to um, kind of spread that knowledge across all of us younger, younger guys. And the the quality of life benefit was pretty astounding. I mean, food, you know, they don't call it a love language, but I do. Um, Food is definitely how I express my gratitude and and all the other positive emotions that I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. man. And I'll tell you what, growing up. In ways like that, once you do become successful, it just makes you appreciate what you have so much more.
0: Yeah, if you're lucky, I think, you know, one of the one of the major things that um, that can really benefit people is um, is hardship going through the army, going through various things that are difficult, like you did with your training to be a firefighter. You know, it, it convinces you or at least it educates you about what you can do. And and what you need and what maybe you don't need and is excess, you know, and so it gives you the opportunity you've been through so much that you can actually appreciate what you have. And so in some ways, people that haven't been through very much, I kind of I don't want to say I pity, but I know that it will take it always takes trials for you to appreciate what you've got. And so the fact that yours are probably behind you is a source for gratitude. And it sounds like the way you've learned from them is also a source for
1: gratitude. Yeah. I mean, you know, the big thing is the struggles never behind us, right? Things happen all the time and we can always revert right back to where we were. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's been times in my level of success that I've walked out to my driveway and my vehicles up on the back of a tow truck. And, yeah. uh, there's been times that I'm like, well, I need to ask for money from a friend or a family member to make ends meet this week or, mm-hmm. you know, not wind up with a towed vehicle because <laughs> yeah. of a repo or something like that. But it always, like you said, it always makes me think back and say, you know what though, no matter how hard this current season is in our life, mm-hmm. I know that I've been in a much worse place. Yeah, and I tell you those, those seasons start to fade and go away because it's like Yeah, you get further and further away from those things and you do things in your life to set yourself up to not have to be in that position again. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very lucky, man. I absolutely, no matter how hard I work to earn the money I do, I am very happy and appreciative of the life that we've set up for ourselves. But absolutely, nonprofits deserve some extra love for sure.
0: I totally agree with you. And I I find it so interesting because I've always thought of myself as very, very lucky. You know, but when I was born, I was born in a tornado and a flood. I was mauled by I was mauled by a great Dane when I was three. Um, Yeah, I have like my life is my life is hilarious. But, you know, I'm not dead. And, you know, I've I've overcome all this stuff up until this point. And it just feels like, you know, oh, you know, I've made it this far. I've probably, you know, I can't imagine I'll run into anything that can take (laughs) me down. You know, it's so funny. It gives you confidence. For, to, to be tried, you know?
1: Absolutely. No, it's, there's often times that I've been speaking with someone and I tell them the things I've been through in my life and they're like, oh my God, how yeah. are you still <laughs> here? Or how did you get to where you're at? Or, you know, like anybody yeah. else that went through that would be on drugs or, yeah. Yeah. you know, like so many other ways you could have gone with your life. How did you wind up becoming a firefighter and stay yeah. away from drugs and do all this good stuff yeah. with your life? And it's like, I don't, I don't, I never considered it that bad. Like I yeah. just, yeah, I had some hardship, but I, I didn't think it was that bad. And they're like, yeah. bro, dealing with your parents, divorce, both of them dying right. when you're extremely young, your best oh friend killing himself before his 21st birthday. Holy cow! Uh, yeah. You know, just all these things that I can list out and they're like, how, how do you, how do you come out of that? And yeah, it's and like, well, you
0: just have and to you consider yourself lucky.
1: And then I still consider myself lucky. And when people say, well, You know, have you had it bad? Have you had any hardships? And it's like, no, not really. You know, I've gone through some things, but I'm okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) it's uh, yeah. And that that is that is exactly uh, I think that is exactly, you know, a leader's perspective. Has to be, man. We can't get sucked into that victim mentality. No, no. And there's like, what's it going to get you? You know, right.
1: So, I know we went off on a tangent, but I love it. I think there was some great stuff there. But kind of going back to it, if you, you know, if there's somebody out there listening right now that's mm-hmm. like, man, this is the person I needed in my life, I need to find an executive. What's the best way to get in touch with you and your company and find out more about
0: what you do and how to get you for their services? Yeah. I mean, um, they can absolutely go to the website and check out ghostmountainllc.com. Check out the About Us. Obviously, you've listened to this podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, there's a there's a contact form at the bottom. You can also just call uh call the office at 469-708-6444, or you can email me directly at Kyle at com.
1: Perfect. And are you doing stuff on social media these days?
0: Yeah. Um we have uh Ghost Mountain Executive Search is on LinkedIn and we don't have a TikTok or or any of the other ones, but LinkedIn is the best place to find us.
1: Gotcha. I know at first glance, TikTok probably doesn't seem like something that would be appropriate for your line of work, but man, you'd be surprised how some of these people are able to spend some funny videos that really catch people's attention. I think we need to see you on TikTok,
0: you know? I'll give it a shot. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's so funny. There's, I feel like every day there's a new skill that I need to learn. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm only I'm only telling you this stuff because I'm addicted yeah. to TikTok and I really love good videos on there. So I am you know. too, man.
0: I I also like I like I said I've I've listened to a couple of your your um your podcasts, and so I was I was just kind of chuckling because we we share some some uh, addictions, and I think you're over your video game addiction, which I think is fantastic. But TikTok, I'm getting there. yeah, TikTok is definitely one of those that um I definitely see the value there. Um, yeah. But, I don't, you know those kids are so talented you know it's so intimidating
1: <laughs> it is it's absolutely intimidating that's why I'm trying to just make my way as best I can and, and oh. do some stuff that I can and it mostly boils down to sharing some awesome conversations like this one oh. uh, that way people can just see you know what we're doing what we're talking about maybe catch some of those golden nuggets that come out exactly. in these interviews and then hopefully tune in to the rest
0: of the show on whatever platform they listen to podcasts on absolutely man Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know we're kind of going over time here, um, but, you know, it's been it's been an absolute joy speaking with you.
1: Absolutely. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show and, you know, opening up, sharing some very candid things and talking to us about your personal life, plus your professional life and what you've got going on. And listeners, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Small Business Origin. We couldn't do it without you tuning in every single week. You're what makes this thing tick. It's how we are able to bring on such awesome companies and entrepreneurs, just like Kyle with ghost mountain executive search. And if you want to keep hearing this stuff, man, we just need your support by going and liking subscribing to our stuff and leaving us a review on Apple podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcast. You don't have to pay us a dime for this. All we need is for you to encourage other people to listen in and support these entrepreneurs by hearing this, but that was it, man. Another episode done another week of great content. And we'll see you on the next week. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.